This is episode 24 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Following the calling in your heart. That's what today's guest, Elise Nelson, the CEO and president of Vital Voices did. Elise co-founded Vital Voices with Hillary Rodham Clinton during the Clinton administration. And it all started for her when she was just 21 years old. You see, Elise heard a calling that she needed to be at the United Nations Annual Conference on Women in Beijing, China, and she made it happen. And that decision changed her life forever. She had this deep knowing that she wanted to make a difference in the world. And I can't wait to share her story with you and the incredible work that Vital Voices does around the world. They are all about empowering women in their local communities to create change. For me, this topic is just so interesting. You wouldn't believe how many women I am meeting right now who are feeling called to make a difference in the world, to stand up and to be heard. And I believe, as Elise does, that we as women are bringing unique and original perspectives on how to solve problems, change cultures, and we see things through a different lens. I love the energy of this. So just yesterday, I got to see Octavia Spencer at the Women's Foundation of Colorado Annual Luncheon with 2,400 women coming together to talk about how when women thrive, we all rise. Our communities, our regions, our countries. Women give back into their communities with an open and giving and passion-filled heart. The new brand for the Women's Foundation launched at the luncheon, and the tagline is Women Thriving, Colorado Rising. And it was particularly exciting for me as I had served as a volunteer on the rebranding task force for the past six months. It was really fun to be able to bring the things that I'm passionate about and love to jam about with all my fabulous Extraordinary Women radio guests each week to the many discussions we had in shaping the future brand of the Women's Foundation, the brand that, we, that will set the vision for us as we step into our next 30 years. Seeing all those months of hard branding work unfold yesterday lit me up. Seeing the energy that it created in this big room of 2,400 women really lit me up. I think that every woman in the place walked out standing taller, taking bigger, more empowered steps, and with a renewed sense of energy that their voices matter in the world. And together, we can make a difference. That's the power of community. And for me personally, all this girl power has me very amped up for my third annual Extraordinary Women Ignite 2018 event that is going to be held on November 2nd and 3rd next month in Golden, Colorado. It's about tapping into all that excitement that we as women have. It's about making a difference in the world. Ignite is for change makers. It's for the rule breakers, the rebels, the women whose voices need to be heard. If you've been hearing a calling to make a difference in the world with the gifts of who you are, this event is for you. And I hope you'll follow your heart and say yes. For I believe now is the time for all of us to step up and be seen and be heard. It's a call for a sisterhood of impact. 
and the world needs us now. Details about Ignite are on my website at camigelner.com. I invite you to join us in these two days of sisterhood, of women declaring their difference that they will make in 2018. So, speaking of women making a difference, let's talk a bit more about today's guest, Elise Nelson. She is a woman making a huge difference in the world. In fact, I think she may be making the biggest ripple effects of anyone that I've ever met. That's saying a lot. Her organization, Vital Voices, is the leading NGO that identifies, trains, and invests in emerging women leaders, enabling them to create a better world for us all. Elise has worked with world leaders since 1996 to develop mentoring and training programs in over 140 countries and has interviewed more than 200 international leaders. Elise will tell us more in the interview about some of the incredible stories that come out of Vital Voices. I know you will be touched. I had the wonderful opportunity to get to sit next to Elise last month at a small breakfast at a beautiful home in Vail, Colorado. I'm so blown away by the amazing women who crossed my path, and it was such an honor to get to know Elise. I couldn't have been more thrilled that she said yes to an Extraordinary Women radio interview. So let's dig in and meet Elise Nelson of Vital Voices. Well, hello, Elise. Welcome. Hello. I'm thrilled to join you. Oh, I am so thrilled to have you on Extraordinary Women Radio. It's, it's really an honor. You know, when the announcement came out that you were going to be at, at, in the Vail Symposium event and then doing a private Women's Foundation breakfast, and as a board member of the Women's Foundation, I was like jumping up and down and saying, oh, I want to be there. I want to be one of the ones there. Your bio spoke to me. Your story spoke to me. And my heart had this big, big resounding yes. I need to be there. So I can't, I just can't, can it be more thrilled to have you on Extraordinary Women Radio today? So thank you. Oh, well, I'm honored to join you. Ah, so let's start with, and I love this story. You're 21 years old and you get this, you hear this calling in your heart that you need to be at the United Nations Annual Conference on Women in Beijing, China. So tell us the story um, and just how did you trust that inner heart calling that you were feeling? Mm, yeah. And in some ways, you know, I, you know, you look back and you think, I don't know. I don't know what made me believe that I could do that and that that was a good idea. But thank goodness I did. And I listened <laughs> to that sort of gut. I think sometimes it just grabs you and it takes you, you know, by the gut and, and puts you on a plane and, so this, this was actually um, the United Nations Fourth World Conference on Women was the fourth in a series of conferences um, over the last 20 years um, leading up to 1995. So really, mm -hmm. you know, starting in, in the 70s. And it was a global gathering of women. It was going to be 55,000 women leaders from around the world were going to come to both the sort of government convening of 189 countries around the world um, but also there was going to be this parallel NGO forum uh, for activists. And, you know, if you think back to 1995, you know, there were no, you know, uh, people didn't have cell phones. You didn't have, you know, social media. 
you know, technology, the way that we think about it and know of it today just wasn't there. So if you wanted to learn about what was going on around the world or communicate with people directly, you had to go there. You had to get on a plane. Um, you know, it just really wasn't possible uh, to get a sense of it. And also these issues were just not mainstream the way that they are today, the issues of, of advancing women and girls. And I had grown up with an incredible, courageous mother who, you know, didn't start surfing until she was 50, and at 75, she does it today, you know, still. She was just a, a, a trailblazer in so many ways, but I also knew when she grew up, uh, as she was growing up, wanted to be an architect, she was told no one's ever going to hire a woman to design and build a strong structure. So uh, I grew up with that, knowing that she had a lot of roadblocks, but also knowing that I, I was told I could do anything I wanted. Nothing was out of reach. I was felt no different than my brother growing up. Mm -hmm. And um, I had traveled around the world as a kid a bit, so I'd seen, I'd seen a bit of things. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of questions. I knew that I was going to be of the first generation that was a, a more global generation of women. Um, you know, and, and I wanted to know what that meant, right? I mean, we're, we're just hearing about the global economy in 1985. Right. I mean, oh, all absolutely. these things are, are coming forth with I remember that. And it was, so, it was so exciting at that time, thinking about what a global economy would be. Yeah. So, you know, I um, really, to learn about women's issues, decided I've got to get myself on a plane to Beijing. Um, I remember when I was in college, I took every single class with the word woman in the title, women writers, women this, women that, you know, because I was just desperate to learn. And uh, when I got to Beijing, and, and it, was a, it was a difficult process, quite frankly, because the Chinese government really didn't realize what they signed up for. They thought they were signing up for, you know, a knitting conference because they lost the 2000 Olympics. <laughs> and they had to, quite frankly, save face. And so they signed up for this lovely little women's gathering not realizing that, you know, human rights activists and, you know, advocates from around the world were going to be coming. And this was very scary to them. You know, this is not long after Tiananmen Square. Um, and quite frankly, the media kind of got sidetracked uh, in the lead up to the conference. They started talking about a political prisoner, Harry Wu, and, you know, there was this whole deal. Well, if, if, if Harry Wu is, is released from, um, you know, from, as a prisoner, you know, he, he's an American in, activist in China, uh, you know, Chinese-American, you know, then Hillary will go, first lady then, Hillary Rodham Clinton at the time, will go and, and speak. So there was just, there was a lot of politics swirling around this, this gathering. It just seemed like the place to be to learn about these issues. Um, I did get there, even though I had great troubles getting the right kind of visa, I relied heavily on a wonderful group of women um, I recently wrote a book about that experience and about Vital Voices, and it kind of gets into greater detail, and I think it's, is, is quite funny, um, you know, the, the, the trials and turbulations to just simply, you know, go to a, a global women's gathering. But when I got there, I realized that, you know, here I had come to learn, and the women around me, these 55,000 activists from around the world, you know, 200 different countries represented, They'd come to fight for their place in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was surrounded by all these incredible, um, you know, just learning about issues I'd never even heard about, issues like human trafficking. That word or laws, you know, on the books that exist today just didn't exist back then. 
Right. And, um, and you know, there were very few hearing. laws to protect right. and advance women. No, and I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't hearing about it. So really I was learning about these issues for the first time. But at the same time, I was thinking, why do people not know about the issues of human trafficking or rape as a weapon of war or the powers of microfinance and girls' education to lift communities out of poverty and, and create greater social development? Um, I wasn't learning about these things, and they were powerful. And I thought, if I'm going to be you know, growing up in this soon-to-be global generation, these are things that my generation and, and my colleagues and friends, but, but quite frankly, all Americans really need to know about. So um, on the last day of the conference, I was really racking my brain thinking, you know, how can I bring this back? What can I do? And why was I so called in my gut to be here? And on the last day of the conference, I really got my answer. Um, then First Lady Hillary Clinton spoke um, at the, the final gathering. And she, of course, made that famous speech where she said the women's rights are human rights. But was, what was actually, you know, for me, more profound was that she listened to all the conversations that were going on with these women around the world. And she took their voices and issues and raised them to the world stage through her speech and echoed many of those issues and, and brought it forth really for the first time, you know, gave, gave these issues a global platform and a global call to action. Um, and it made me realize that, you know, here's a woman who, who recognizes that as the First Lady of the United States, she has voice and power. When she speaks, you know, in the pre-social media era, you know, uh, her words will spread like wildfire, even right. even before social media, right. because the press will pick up on it. They'll write about it. Um, and so she she recognized that, and it made me realize maybe why I was called to come uh, to the conference and travel so far and take some risks to get there. And I think it was, I began to see, you know, I too have a voice, and I want to help give voice to those issues and those people who are voiceless. And that really became, for me, my driving force in life. You know, it really became um, something that I, you know, I, I, that drives me and that, and that um, I think that gets me up and, and keeps me going in, in difficult moments. Certainly. I mean, what an incredible revelation to get as a 21-year-old to say, you know what? my voice does matter. I'm, I have some place to take this. I want to take my voice out into the world and stand up for these causes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how did this all lead into vital voices from there? Yeah. So I came back wanting to spread the word about what had happened, wanting to use my voice and, and realizing, you know, there was an opportunity to do so. I pulled together a number of, um, other organizations on different college campuses, and I held a large gathering of, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of students. We had to keep moving the venue because it was getting bigger and bigger of all these young people who wanted to come and hear what happened at this Beijing Women's Conference. And I had, uh, you know, I had the the wife of, of the governor, um, Susan Weld, um, come and speak. She was there. I had people from the United Nations from across the country. I had an African woman. I mean, I had people talking about different perspectives, talking about these issues and what happened at the conference. And I invited someone from the White House to come up and speak as well. And she was working for then First Lady Hillary Clinton. And she was shocked that this young American woman um, was so amped up on these issues and <laughs> desperately wanting to spread it to young women in my generation. And she said, you got to come down and work for us. 
we can't pay you in the next breath, uh, but you should come down and work for us because you're precisely <laughs> the kind of person that we need. And, you know, at this point in time, I'd, I'd actually planned on going to graduate school. I'd gotten a scholarship. Um, that was my plan. But quite frankly, that was my plan because I didn't know how my passion, women and girls and their rights, translated into an actual job. And so I thought, well, I'll just stay in school. I'll figure that out. Right. <laughs> Which is not the right thing to do, by the way. Right. Um, anyway, so I, so I ended up moving down to Washington. I you know, worked nights and weekends and, and whatnot and, and basically worked at the White House during the day as a, as a sort of glorified intern who'd already graduated from, uh, from college and uh, really worked with this thing called the President's Interagency Council on Women. And that was based out of the First Lady's office. And what it was is it was an interagency council, so representative from every single federal agency, Health and Human Services, Defense Department, um, and they, they all came together to look at, okay, we as a government, U.S. government, we signed on to the Platform for Action in Beijing at that conference at that UN conference to improve the lives of women in you know, these 12 different areas, everything from girls' education to uh, economic development, political participation, human rights, et cetera. And so basically what they were charged with is looking across all of the agencies and what were we doing and using their sort of combined clout um, to, to get movement uh, and obviously having this chaired by Hillary Clinton and co-chaired by, um, by then uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Donna Shalala, who takes no prisoners, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were able to really get, um, get a lot done um, in, those, in those couple of years. And really from there, um, you know, I think that the conference had a profound effect on, on Hillary and I think on the entire government of people really recognizing there's a role that we can play in advancing women. And I think for as much as, you know, people will say Hillary's speech ignited a movement that was global with this women's rights or human rights. And although that seems, you know, elementary today, back then it was, you know, revolutionary, right? To think of human rights are actually women's rights and women's rights are human rights. But I think it was, it was also very powerful to her because it really made her recognize uh, the role that she could play in the world. And she was extremely inspired by all these women. And if you look at the places where she traveled as a first lady leading up to 1995, so from 93 you know, to 95, and then the places she went after her participation in the Beijing Women's Conference, it's like night and day. You know, you've got oh, you know, all your traditional sort of Europe. And, and then all of a sudden she's going to Africa and Pakistan, Kazakhstan, Thailand, to speak with women and to really be their sort of megaphone on these issues. And, you know, so, so partly looking at what we could do in our own government. And then from there, once Madeleine Albright became secretary of state, everything just exploded because it was a really exciting time. You know, we had the first female secretary of state in the government. She was very dedicated towards women's issues um, and advancing women. Hillary was this, um, you know, uh, albeit unofficial, but ambassador for women's issues, traveling around the world, um, raising these voices, talking about these issues. And the two of them were this sort of dynamic tag team, if you will. Um, and, you know, it was an incredible time, quite frankly, as a whatever it was, 23-year-old, you know, 22, 23-year-old <laughs> to have the opportunity to to travel with them, to 
to pull, you know, up to find women leaders for them to meet with. And, and really, Vital Voices grew out of that. And, and quite frankly, it was the idea of a, of a very activist ambassador, Swanee Hunt, who was then the ambassador. Oh, I got to meet Swanee. Ambassador to Austria. I just oh, met, Swan- I met her just. She's always on the cutting edge. Yeah, just two nights ago, I got to meet her. Um, you know, she was the founder of oh, the, Col- wow. the Women's Foundation of Colorado. And um, so just right. a few nights ago, I got right. to meet her. It all comes back to, to Colorado, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she, uh, she was in, in Vienna, Austria, uh-huh. but she had traveled throughout, you mm-hmm. know, the, yeah. And she had traveled really throughout Eastern Europe. She traveled in the Balkans and she, she saw that as countries were moving towards democracy or coming out of war um, in Bosnia, you know, that there, that that women were the greatest victims, you know, in 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 these times of crisis. And she also saw that as countries were transitioning towards democracy in the former Soviet Union, things were not working so well for women. Their voices weren't being heard. Mm-hmm. And how could democracy truly exist if you didn't have, you know, you know, all all aspects of society, not just fifty percent of the population speaking. And so. She wanted to pull um, together women from the region. Um, and so that's how Vital Voices was born. It was a one-off conference for women from throughout Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union. Oh. And quite frankly, women around the world heard about it, and they said, we want Vital Voices too. Because it was a very high-level gathering. Hillary Clinton always came. The U.S. government had you know, a number of you know, commitments and, and new support. And we just, I mean, my little phone in the State Department just was ringing off the hook um, with requests from women from around the world saying, please come and do Vital Voices here as well, because, you know, our voices are vital. And the idea behind Vital Voices was, you know, that, that vital means necessary for life. And, you know, the idea was that if you want to build a strong economy or society, you simply can't do it with just half the population. Women and girls can't be left behind. Their voices are just as important, and in fact, they are vital for the livelihood and lives of our society and economies as a whole. You know, and 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 quite frankly, back then, you know, and this is you know, you know, still we're we're 1997 now. Um, we didn't have any research or data to prove that this was true. Now, that's not the case today. We have incredible data that shows that investing in women is smart economics in addition to being the right thing to do. It's financially a smart thing for for countries and uh, and economies. But, um, you know, we we were obviously in a very different place back then. So over the next few years, we hold Bada Voices gatherings, follow-on activities um, in countries all over the world, Latin America, Northern Ireland, as they're going through the, the Good Friday Peace Accords and wanting to hone in on the critical role that women played, um, you know, the Baltic states, uh, we traveled all over Central Asia, um, Africa, um, throughout East Asia, and built a network of, of women leaders who are very much on the front lines of change in their countries, but who were very isolated. Mm-hmm. They desperately wanted to be part of Vital Voices because it credentialized them. You know, it, it said they're doing good work. These are, you know, um, leaders. And, and we work with human rights leaders, but also leaders in government and civil society. And then, all, um, and then women who were entrepreneurs or starting businesses. Um, businesses often with a real daring vision or a social, a social bent to them. 
Um, and the, the network was about 3,000 women large uh, by the time we reached 1999. So we'd just been going for a couple of years. Okay. And we knew that, you know, in 2000, the administration is going to come to an end, the Clinton administration. Um, and a number of the women contacted us and said, you can't, you can't stop. You can't drop this. Yeah. This, you know. This has to keep going. Yeah. This, you know, th- these gatherings are, are valuable, but what's really valuable is the network of women. And you've got to, you've got to continue to support this because we, we are alone in the work that we're doing. We are often, you know, uh, ostracized or we are even, um, you know, we're criticized. We're, um, you know, our lives are often put at risk because we're building a, a school for girls in a community where lots of people don't want girls going to school. Right. Um, and you've got to, you've got to connect us with each other and to you. And, and, and that there was a lot of power in that. And so we decided that we would um, take their good advice. We became a nonprofit, non-governmental organization. Then Secretary Clinton immediately reached out um, across the political aisle as a, as a new senator in 2000 mm-hmm. uh, to Kay Bailey Hutchison, a fellow senator from Texas, and, and said, you know, I want you to be part of this and help us build this because it's not about politics. It's not about, I mean, it's, it's, it's bipartisan, if not nonpartisan, but we need everyone's voice and everybody to put their shoulder in to, to move this forward. Um, so that was, you know, 2000, we became a nonprofit. Um, this year, we're actually celebrating our 20-year anniversary since um, that very first Vital Voices conference in 1997. Congratulations. And so it's definitely a, you know, it's definitely a year of reflection Yes. Um, and thinking about how far we've come, uh, but there's so much more work to do, and we're at a really exciting time right now in history, I think, with women. Totally. Uh, and I think that people, people now get it. You know, when I, when I worked on these issues in the beginning, we had no research, no data, as I said before. Mm-hmm. People just didn't understand why this was important. You know, now we've, as I often say, we've got the megaphone. You know what I mean? People, people are listening. Now it's about how do we how do we obtain access to power, um, and not power like women should be in charge and men shouldn't, but how do women have a, a fair shake um, at that power? Right, right. So that their voice is heard. Um, on those statistics that you you mentioned, can you just um, I, I know I've seen these, but share maybe like one or two of them that that really point to why this is such critical work right now. Sure. Well, just to name a few things, um, McKinsey and Company did a study about a year ago that looked at women's labor force participation. And one of the things that we know is surprisingly, over the last 20 years, women's labor force participation has remained practically flat. Mm -hmm. So although we've seen some progress in girls' education, you know, maternal health, those things have improved quite a bit this labor force participation has really remained flat. And so they looked at what would happen if women had the same access and opportunity to, you know, jobs and, you know, starting businesses and all of those barriers were removed. So 90%, 90% of countries around the world have at least one gender discriminatory law on the books. Right mm-hmm. in their countries, ninety percent. So there are a lot, and that's just laws on the books. If you think about culture and the way that people value women, and will they invest in this company versus that company, or give this woman a loan versus that, you know, that's 
you know, I mean, you think about the statistics coming out of Silicon Valley, right? Right. So what, what McKinsey and company did is they said, okay, so let's say that we just bring women up to the level of men in every country around the world. And what they found is that by enabling greater labor force participation of women, giving them the same rights and opportunities as men when it comes to the economic sphere, we would increase global GDP by $28 trillion by 2025. That's yeah, that's an incredible number. Yeah, I mean, that's the number that's on the table. And yeah. so no longer can people say, well, this isn't a win-win or we're taking jobs from men or no. I mean, it, it, really, is a, it really is a win-win. And, and then when you look at other issues, like let's just even take the issue of domestic violence, which is you know, the, the most common form of violence against women. And by the way, violence against women is one of the very few issues that actually have gotten worse for women in the last 20 years. Oh, interesting. There is more violence in terms of human trafficking, mm-hmm. rape as a weapon of war, um, you know, child marriage, although the rates are going down a bit there, but you know, you've still got other culturally harmful practices, rape on college campuses, right? Um, so if we were able to eradicate just domestic violence, not any other things, but just domestic violence, we would add one point trillion dollars to the global economy. One point two trillion. I'm sorry, one point five trillion. That is the same size as Canada's economy, right? Wow. So, I mean, that's that's how much money we're talking about that we lose because of a loss of productivity, legal and healthcare costs, um, because of because of domestic violence. Just that's that crazy number. That's a crazy. So number. you know you you begin to look at these numbers and you think like no one can argue the other side. Right. So why are we not doing anything about it? Right. And right. so to me, you know, first we were fighting for you know that people that we had a name for these things that it was called domestic violence or human trafficking. People knew what that was. Then we were fighting for a law, you know, that that would say, okay, well that's illegal to traffic someone modern day slavery should be illegal or domestic violence should be illegal. Then we, we needed the research to show people, to prove people, well, we ought to put, you know, some resources behind this, you know, so that, you know, the police are educated, you know, because it makes good financial sense. Now we've got that, but what we don't have and what we still need, and this is the, the unfinished business that gets me up in the morning and <laughs> I worry about at night is cultural change. The way in which we right. just value women and girls in our society, that is, in my opinion, the greatest unfinished business we face. Right. So, so tell us how Vital Voices is approaching their work today to help address the cultural side of things. And, um, you know, just what are some of the biggest challenges you see in breaking through that cultural um, um, impact that, that you can make? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful African proverb that says that if you want to understand culture, listen to the stories. But if right. you want to change culture, change the stories. Ooh, I and, like that. Um, I know, I love that. And so what we're trying to do is change the dynamic of whose voice gets heard and where is the power and resources and support. And so what we do at Vital Voices, we think of ourselves as venture catalysts, not venture capitalists, (laughs) but similar venture catalysts. Mm -hmm. What we do is we're always searching the world. 
uh, searching the world, high and low. I mean, we've worked with women from 184 countries and territories over the last 20 years. So it's not about where you come from. It's about what you're doing with what you have and your idea or your daring vision for change. So we, we search for women with a daring vision um, to make positive change economically, politically, you know, combating violence or other human rights violations. Uh, and we basically invest in their vision, not our vision, but their vision for change, right? So a woman who is, you know, founded a, uh, um, a, a uh, shelter to uh, basically take uh, survivors or victims, help them become survivors, and then help them thrive after they've been victims of human trafficking, help them rebuild their lives, go back into society, have a, have a, um, a job so that they're not re-trafficked. And that's a woman who worked with in India, and she served 8,000 women and children at her shelter home. And so we're, we're finding those, those people who are those like frontline defenders, big ideas, but very few people know about their work. Very few people are supporting them. Um, they often don't think of themselves as leaders, oddly enough. They just think I get up every day and I'm doing what needs to get done. Um, they like, like I was talking about my driving force. I mean, they, they all share that they have that driving force, that sense of mission that keeps them going. Mm -hmm. that motivates them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we have a number of sort of, you know, criteria and tests that we, that we look at as we bring people into our network. But once you become part of, of the Vital Voices Network, you, you are always part of it. I mean, many of the women we work with and support, we've been working with for, you know, 10, 20 years even. Wow. Um, and what we do with them is, and, and the recipe or the formula is never the same, right? Because not everyone needs the same thing. What you would need to, to develop your vision and what I would need are two very different things, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we really look at a needs assessment and what they need. We might put them through one of our fellowship programs, but then we'd look at, okay, what else do they need? They need mentors. They need um, specific training. They need contacts. They need visibility. Um, they need support. I mean, we've, we, you know, do all kinds of things where we make sure women have their picture taken with a certain person so that they can have the cover of that. Um, you know, we have women who um, are out there speaking against corrupt governments. They get thrown in prison and we have a whole chain or network of people who immediately respond to help them get out of prison. Um, you know, it's, it's, it takes on a, you know, a different approach depending on, on who, on who the leader is and what she's trying to achieve. I remember Today, you, we've supported. I remember you yeah, saying at the, at the symposium that it's not, you know, and that really intrigued me. It's like, you know, as big, you know, as much impact as you're making around the world, it's not about a formula that you just give each person. It's really so unique to each individual. And I just, that, that was really um, impressive to me. And I could see why that makes a difference. Yeah, well, I would say, you know, it kind of started off a little bit more formulaic, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. and what we began to see over time is that where the real value was is right. when we provide support for, for these people that is much more tailored to what their needs are, right? right. And, right. and also um, that we support them over long periods of time. As fast as the world is moving, change still takes an incredibly long amount of time. Mm -hmm. It's... That's one of the things, honestly, that, that is a challenge for us because um, 
one of the great things about having a lot of research in this area that says that investing in women is a smart investment and you know removing barriers uh, to their success is smart economically we have a lot more corporate supporters and partners but a lot of times and this is not our supporters but often we talk to to corporations that don't understand our model because they think well i want to reach 5000 women in one year and i want to see change you know rapid change so that you know, I can, you know, the same way that we see that kind of rapid change in, in a for-profit company. But it, that's just not going to happen. That's not what we do. And those are, those are the kind of partners that we don't want to work with. We, right. we are always seeking partners that understand that change takes a long time. It is not a one-size-fits-all approach. You know, it's, it's the same way. And what we are doing is we are, we are those venture catalysts. You know, we are finding the great person plus the great idea and investing in them to take their vision for change to scale can or you, implement can you, it. You know? Yeah. Can you share a story? I mean, you shared so many of them at the Vale Symposium, which um, I was just so drawn into that. Can you sh- pick one of those stories and just share how you helped someone along the way? Sure. So uh, one of the women that we work with and support, we've been supporting her for 11 years now. Uh, I met her back in 2006. Her name is Kakenia Ntaya. Uh, she's from Kenya, small village um, in the Maasai Mara. She grew up in a community where at age seven, girls were promised off to be married. By the time they uh, were uh, gone through their first menstrual cycle, they've gone through FGM, they've been promised off, you know, and they've been married. Shortly thereafter, at age 13, they're, you know, having their first child and really, you know, from the time they were pulled out of school, you know, at, at a very young age, that, that's the end of their life as they choose it. Um, and this particular woman, Kakenya, decided that's not what she wanted. Mm-hmm. And she went to her father and realized the only thing she had to negotiate with was the fact that if she didn't go through the process of female genital cutting in her community, that it would bring tremendous shame to the family mm-hmm. because that's that's, that's the culture, right? Mm-hmm. And so she said to her father, I will go through that process, but only if you let me stay in school. And so he agreed. He had to, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to keep the respect of, of the family. And so it, What a smart young they, woman, right, yeah. at that age to, say, I know. to be able to negotiate this, you know, negotiate through this with her father. So it's yeah. just incredible. Yeah. She then um, was able to, to somehow, before technology hit a new scion, her village was able to um, get a, uh, a scholarship uh, to go to school in the United States. And she asked the village to pool their money, which they did, quite frankly, a bit reluctantly, because a girl had never left the village and gone off to, to uh, you know, study in the United States. That was just unheard of. She was the first girl to even finish high school in her community. Uh, but she was able to do it. She goes off. Um, and when I meet her a few years later, she tells me the story. And then she looks at me with this beautiful big smile. And she says, now I'm just a dissertation away from my PhD in education. And that's really where we came in to support her um, and have been supporting her over the last, you know, as I say, 11 years, um, really helping her to build a supportive group um, of people who could invest in her big idea Mm-hmm. We gave her an award. We helped her get visibility. We took a whole group of people out to her community when she broke ground on that school 
Um, we've provided her with training, a network of her peers, grants over the years, um, you know, and just kind of been her back office supporters. I mean, she calls and pretty much will do anything for her. Mm. Um, you know, and that's, that's, you know, that's what we, what we aim to provide. I think the biggest and most important thing that we provide is just, you know, a voice on the end of the phone when someone needs it. Um, right. And we've had people tell us that quite a bit. I mean, they've, they've said, you know, Vital Voices is one of the most authentic organizations that I've ever worked with because it's not transactional. It's not about we're going to give you this and then you do that. It's about you're part of us and how can we help you to succeed? Mm. Um, and the thing is, is that cultural change is not going to come from someone like me giving speeches around the world right. or, you know, a law that comes down in X country because an activist, you know, pushed for it. What's going to happen is people like Kenya are going to show that when you invest in a woman, and let her go to school, she'll come back, she'll repay, she'll build the girls school. No bad will come if you say, to the parents, you can put your girls in the school, but if you do, you have to know they can't go through female genital cutting and they cannot be married off before the age of 18. Mm -hmm. And as that happens and that happens and that happens, and now she has 300 girls, more than 300 girls in her school, the society has gotten better, not worse because of it. People begin to see that, you know, okay, wait, you know, and, and culture and behavior begins to change. And when I was saying, you know, if you want to change culture, you know, change the stories. Someone like Kenya has changed the story, but it's right. not, I mean, this did not happen overnight. Right. And that's the kind of change that we're trying to invest in. Mm. Um, and it's, you got to be in it for the long run. Um, you know, and, and, and she will continue to be successful. And, and, and I think the thing that's powerful about investing in leaders is that Kenya had that vision, right? I mean, she was going to do it. Right. And we right. saw that in her. And we helped to amplify, accelerate, maybe make it a bit easier on her. But, you know, you want to invest in the thing that, that, that is going to be successful and make sure that, it's, that, it is, that it is accelerated. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. I mean, we really do search the world for, we believe, the most powerful investments. And those are very big, bold dreams of yes. leaders. Yes. You know, at the Vail Symposium, you made the statement, women are rising up to find the solutions that need to be delivered into our world. In your 20-year journey around the world, what have you learned about women leading change? What is it about women leading change that makes them special? Well, I think, you know, to start with, I think women often and I, I hate to do blanket statements, right? Mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you certainly find men like this and you certainly find women who are not like this. But what I've definitely seen again and again and again is that women are motivated by wanting to typically right a wrong in their community. That's okay. why they step forward to lead change, whether it's run for political office or it's start an organization or a business. You know, they do it because of this, greater good that they're seeking. Um, right. And, you know, they often don't even think about it in that, in that context um, until they're, you know, further down the road and they begin to see, you know, the, the results. But I think that motivation is deeply authentic. And I think it's what our world really needs right now. I think also women are really good at connecting across things that divide us. We have this inherent ability to connect and 
want to be heard and understood and we you know we help to pull that out in others as well and i think that in a interconnected world the ability to empathize the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand what it's like that's what people are seeking for in their leaders because they can get that you know we're basically in a few years will be connected to every person on the planet or the ability to be connected but yet people feel disconnected from their leaders so right. I think that that women do lead differently. That's what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, by and large, women do lead differently than men. And I think that it's not necessarily better or worse. It's different. But it's I just think true to us, right? Precisely what our world needs. Right. Yeah, but it's also it's it's really what our world needs right now because it's right. it's collaborative, it's inclusive, and it's motivated by this authentic desire to make the world a better place. Yes. So, you know, so many of um, our listeners are women who are wanting to make the world a better place. And some of them are stepping out and doing it already. Some of it have the seeds planted in their, in their heart already. What would you tell women who are hearing that calling to make a difference in the world? And what do they need to do to get their voices heard? Well, I think that, you know, even as global as Vital Voices is, all mm-hmm. of the change that we see is about local change. Right, right. You know, so, so, I mean, you know, people, the old saying, you know, think globally, act locally, it's just so true, you know. You know, so I think in your community around you, you know, don't look for this big, bold, global thing, you know. Change does happen, you know, in a community by a person who sees it and is, you know, and is motivated to, right. to make change. And so right. I think look around you where you think you want to have an impact. I mean, one of the things that Vital Voices has taught me is that, you know, I ought to run for local political office, not not national political office, but just like my local community. Right. Because, you know, I have young children, and as they are growing up, I see things that I don't think are right, you know, and I think that, that's typically where women kind of get the instinct. Um, and I've just learned that that's where change happens. Like, if you mm. want to make change, start locally. Right. Um, because you can have a profound impact and, uh, it, you know, on your community. And so I, I think I would, I would probably just say that I'd also say, look at, um, think about what you think your driving force is about this. And, yeah. uh, what's, they, they what's don't spend the, enough time thinking about what, what's the big, what's why? their mission in life. Right. They spend, yeah. They spend too much time mm-hmm. thinking about, well, what's the mission of the organization I work at and how am I fulfilling that? And, and what are people expecting of me? I mean, too many young people, I feel like, are like moving on to the next job after a year or two because they think, well, that's what I'm supposed to do rather than well, who are you supposed to be? Right. What do you want to stand for? Right. You know, what is, your, what is your legacy at the end of the day going to be? Yes, that's, that's such a beautiful question. I love to ask people that question. What's the legacy you want to leave? Because if you can get clear on that, mm. you, you, you just light this fire inside of you. And it's kind of like that fire that you got for, you know, when you were 21 as a, as a young girl, you had this fire. It's like, I got to go find out more. And it's what drove so many opportunities. And you were so spot on with what you were supposed to be contributing to the world, the universe just starts to open up doors for you in, in beautiful ways because mm. um, you found that clarity so, so young. So I think that's, that's so cool. So where can our mm. listeners learn more about you and Vital Voices? So obviously we've got a website, vitalvoices.org. Mm-hmm. You can follow us on social media 
uh, you can certainly follow me on social media. It's just Elise Nelson. Um, okay. And uh, I also have a book that I've written. Um, it's, I think you can purchase it on Amazon or you can probably purchase it through our website. And it's just Vital Voices, The Power of Women Leading Change Around the World. And you can hear many more stories like Kenya's and just the lessons in leadership. You can also learn about our full model. I, I talked about our first sort of practice of our leadership model is around you know, a, a driving force or a sense of purpose and mission and that everything stems from there, but you can learn the other four practices of the model that quite frankly was crowdsourced from our network of 15,000 women around the world. Mm. The lessons they taught us. Change. That's cool. I've got your book here on my desk and I've, I've started reading it and it, it's really a beautiful book. So um, thank you for putting that out thank in the you. world. Yeah. So what three pearls of wisdom would you like to leave our audience with today? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for the young people listening, I'd say follow your passion. You know, mm -hmm. you can never go wrong by following your passion. I would agree. But also, you know, people say to me all the time, I've been here for more than, you know, I've been doing this for 22 years. I've been at Vital Voices, you know, since the beginning, 20 years. People are always like, oh, why don't you leave and go on to the next thing? You've been there so long. Isn't it time for the next challenge? And, you know, on a regular basis, I ask myself, am I passionate? Am I curious? And am I challenged? And if I can answer yes to all three of those things, I'm in the right place. Mm. And, you know, I mean, passion to me is the biggest thing. And I am, I, I mean, you can hear it in my voice. I'm sure I'm passionate about what I do. And it's, yes. it's, there's just so much possibility. And I feel like now's our time as women. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I feel very much like it's time to go big or go home, you know? And so, <laughs> so I, I feel like I, I wish that people could have that same energy that I have for what I do. I mean, that's my, my big wish to people, my big wish to young people. And the most important thing is never, you know, sort of evaluate your career or your success around someone else's mm -hmm. follow mm -hmm. your passion and what makes you happy. Right. You know, and where you feel like you're really giving. Um, and don't worry about the title, the this, the that, you know, all those things will come or you won't even need them because right. you'll be so fulfilled with actually what you're doing. Right. I love that. What about number two? And I'd say, I'd also probably say find a mentor. Mm. You know, I think, mm -hmm. um, I think mentoring often doesn't get as strong a, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I believe, I believe really strongly in mentoring. I mean, I think it's, right. it's, it's a strategy. A lot of people think it's just a soft thing. I, I really do think it's a strategy, yes. but I think that you can't just go up to someone and say, you know, I think you're great and I'd like you to be my mentor. You need to work with someone, get them to see who you are, get them excited about standing behind you because a mentor is not that person who's standing in front of you kind of holding out their hand and ready to kind of lift you up they're the person who's ready to stand behind you, win or lose. And, you know, right. be the, you know, quite frankly, not always the cheerleader, the person who's willing to also tell you, you know, well, that, you know, you misstepped, but get on up again. Right. And I, that'd be my third, you know, uh, piece of wisdom. I'd say no one likes to fail. Right. Failing is a bummer. Right. 100%. But I think what makes or breaks you is the grit. And they've actually now done studies about this in young people, you know, what makes someone succeed or not succeed. And grit is like the number one quality that you need. Right. You know, are you, when you fall down, how likely are you to get back up and fight and not give up? And, 
you know, I think anything worth doing is going to take time. As I said before, you know, change takes time, impact takes time. And, you know, when I see people just sort of walk away after they've, you know, had one small failure, I just think, you know, I mean, you're never going to be able to achieve anything if that's the case. You've got to stay with it and fight. And I always honestly feel like, although it's a bummer going through a failure, um, it is the opportunity for learning. And so it can really be a blessing. And I know it's, 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 it's hard to think about that and say that, but I mean, when I look back at all the times that I've failed, I think, wow, I learned a lot and I moved forward at a rapid fire pace after that because I, I was just desperate to, you know, get back on track. Mm. You know, and it's, I, I love that you use the word grit. I just wrote an article. It's called um, lead like a, lead like a woman with grit and grace. And it, it's, mm. that is, it is that stick to itiveness. Um, when we get this passionate thing that we know that we're supposed to be doing in the, the world, it doesn't come to us just in this straight line. Um, it's going to be all kinds of rocky roads and hills and mountains and all the things that we need to go through. And it does take grit. So I love that, that last bit. So, well, yeah. I am so honored to have, have you on today, Elise. And I thank you so much for sharing all of your wonderful stories. I know the listeners are going to really love that. I know they're going to love getting your book. And um, if, if anyone wants to engage and help support Vital Voices, is there something that you want to share on that? Sure. Well, certainly you can contribute to the work that we do financially. You can mm -hmm. become a member of our mailing list and learn out, learn more. We have a, a regular newsletter called The Vine where we share stories of success and news about women and more about our programs. And you can certainly also volunteer. You can um, start up the Vital Voices Council in your community um, to help host and support the women leaders we work with. Um, you can apply to be one of our mentors or global ambassadors, travel with us around the world, um, lending your skills and talents. So there's definitely a lot of ways to engage, and our website, I think, is a, is a good guide to help people okay. find out more. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and um, keep doing all the wonderful work you're doing in the world. Thank you so much. Bye. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGilman.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, MBU.